Good evening, and welcome to our study tonight. I'm interrupting our John study to bring you in the news, and we're going to be centering it totally on Israel today. If we have time towards the end, we will open ourselves up for questions from YouTube and from Facebook. It's pretty detailed today, but I want to give you a full picture and some of the things that you're not seeing. So let me just tell you, tell you some of the things you already know from the news. As, we're see, as we see what's happening in Israel today, we are watching the fact that, and I can't advance that somehow. Oh, there we go. We are watching the fact that on October 7th, 2023, a surprise attack on Israel. A coordinated assault on Israel by Palestinian militants. These are, this is what you know, what you've been hearing on the news. One of the deadliest, most brazen attacks in years brought renewed attention to an old and continuing problem. We'll tell you about that tonight. The Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Uh, that has vexed the Middle East for decades. This is nothing new. The death toll, though, has risen to more than 2,200 people so far, at least 1,200 Israelis, according to Israeli media, and 1,000 Palestinians, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. Dozens of Israeli soldiers, citizens, and possibly foreign nationals have been taken as captives, according to the Israeli Defense Forces. Israel media is reporting that more than 150 right now are missing. Let me give you a little bit of an update of what's going on here. We know, again, it's a Hamas, and I'm going to call it a satanic, satanic onslaught, because that's what it is. It's nothing less than something satanic. 5,000 rockets bombarded uh, from that Gaza, that Gaza border inside the Negev, which is a, which is a desert area that has, has kibbutzim in, and a lot of, a lot of uh, pioneers in Israel, so live in small villages. Uh, from Gaza, they came. 260 massacred in one spot in a music festival. Uh, 1,200, as I said, so far. 20 towns and villages, Israeli towns and villages, were destroyed, 150 taken captive. Entire families were executed gang-style. This is not a war. This was satanic. Um, babies have been decapitated, women raped, Holocaust survivors, Holocaust survivors, imagine, abducted, and innumerable horrific tortures and death, some that you may never see, thankfully, including children burned alive. So as horrible as that sounds, we're watching America go absolutely wild with people who are who are backing Hamas, including some some senators from, or excuse me, some congressmen from the congresswomen from the from the squad. Absolutely horrific when you think about it. This isn't a war. This isn't about land. This is about annihilating Jews, which I will tell you, and not just in Israel, worldwide. And it also is about hating the West. We are the great Satan. So as we go through this tonight, let me share some things with you. Israel has successfully used their Iron Dome. Most people don't know what it is, and people never get, get told about it. This is a series of batteries of rockets that are poised in Israel, mostly towards the border, on the, uh, on the border of Israel, around Israel, circling Israel. How does it work? Well, uh, it's like this. The enemy will fire their rockets. And let me remind you that Hamas's rockets are not that sophisticated. They can't pinpoint them. We'll talk about Hezbollah to the north in a moment. But Hamas's rockets are indiscriminate. So the, the enemy fires their rockets. We've been seeing them come over from Gaza. Still are, by the way. The radar system in Israel detects the rockets and it tracks them. A control system estimates the impact point and a launcher in Israel fires missiles, I just showed it to you, to intercept. Now the great thing about the Iron Dome is the system ignores incoming threats as it determines that will land in uninhabited areas. So they're only taking out the ones that are coming directly in, but they bombarded the Iron Dome. Although those 5,000 rocks were, sh were shot, about 90% of them were taken out by the Iron Dome. So again, this is the It was called Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. You won't hear of it on the news because the news doesn't want to tell you that this is related to 
a very concise history and a very detailed history, a chronology of Jerusalem. Excuse me. Uh, we're going to try to fix this sound. Too important not to. Back on. on. Obviously the enemy doesn't want this to come out. We've been having nothing but problems. But we're going to continue. If we have another blank out, we're going to try to do something else. But let me... Cheryl? Okay, so as we continue, let me just go on and tell you. This is called, as I was saying, the Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. That's what, that's what Hamas calls it. Because they, are, they have a, a multi-pronged purpose. Again, not only wanted to kill every Jew in the world, by the way, and wipe Israel off the face of the map, which I'll show you in a moment. They also want that Al-Aqsa Mosque. That's in the West Bank. They want the, uh, they want the holy site of Jerusalem. And uh, so it's very, very interesting. This is the barrage that came through. If you see this map, that's the border. That's the, uh, the um, eastern border of Gaza, western border of southern Israel. And they breached the wall in 12 different spots, at least 12. This is not something done that wasn't coordinated. And we'll get to that in a moment. So as they breached that wall, they hit all these cities, you'll see them in red. The Hamas troop incursion came through here. That's that shaded green, green area, the, the ones with the lines. And then they occupied these areas. So what Israel had to do first is they had to go and take them out of Israel, out of those areas. The northern part of Gaza is the most dangerous. And it also has the most tunnels. Southern part has, a, has an exit towards Egypt. Right now, Israel is warning. That's why they're not doing their ground attack yet. They're giving full warning to the civilians. They want them to escape through this southern exit. And they have it open right now. So they're telling them they're going to level that place. And basically what they're telling them is they to get out now, civilians. If a civilian does not get out, they're going to assume that they're part of Hamas. And so we're watching that right now as it unfolds as we're speaking. So that's the southern border. It's almost like the foot of Israel. Let me switch you a little bit and go here. This is the northern border through with Lebanon. On this little box at the top, you can see the areas that Israel controls. The Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and what we know as the Golan Heights. This bigger picture is Hezbollah has already targeted three Israeli military positions in the disputed Sheba uh, farm area. That's right over here in that, in that little area that looks like a dark brown or a light brown. So these are the Golan Heights. That Golan Heights was a disputed area between Israel and Syria. President Trump was the one who said Israel has control of that area. First president ever to say that. Even though they gained some of the area in the 1967 Six-Day War, it was Trump who said that. No other president had the, and I'm going to put it the way, I, the way I see it, no other president had the guts to do that. But he broke all of the rules and gave that area specifically to Israel. They're set up on the banks there with military, military posts. Now, we're going to talk about Hezbollah in a moment, but 
just note that because this isn't over. So that is the northern border. Now, as we look at that northern border, this is North Israel's under shelter warning right now. I've made this map and I went through the Israeli uh, Department of Defense to find it. And I located over here and put it in the Sea of Galilee. This is Tiberias. This is, this is in the, uh, the lower section, the Galilee of Israel. The border is up here. Uh, you can't see my finger, but about the spot where the, where the uppermost parts of red are. Those are, war those are shelters and warnings. I have friends that I've talked to uh, just today and yesterday in those areas. And so when the sirens go off, they're concerned that Lebanon is going to come in to the north. And if you think Gaza and the Hamas is bad, that is nothing compared to what Hezbollah can do. So, as we see, I talked to three of my friends in Israel. They're all doing well. But Israel, and most of them shocked me, Israeli news is not telling the Israelis what's going on totally. They are hiding a lot of things from, because they don't want to give more panic to the Israelis. So you and I are getting a lot of news. Of course, we're getting a loop. We're not getting everything. But uh, Israeli news is not saying everything to the Israelis. So why is this happening? Why now? Well, there's always been skirmishes, as you will see. This one's an all-out one. Well, why? It's because Saudi Arabia was very close to normalization with Israel. Now, I want you to understand Saudi Arabia is predominantly Sunni, Sunni Muslim. That is 36 million of them, 90% of them are Sunni. Uh, and, they're and they're fundamentally opposed to Iran's 88% Shia population. They're at odds with each other. Iran has 82 million. Iran did not and does not want Israel to have any negotiations with any Arab country. None at all. So contrary to what our president is saying, he's not telling you the truth. He's talking tough, but he's not doing anything. He says that Iran, uh, contrary to what he's saying, Iran is the mastermind of this attack. We should right now freeze back the $6 billion that we gave for five individuals, five Americans. We should freeze it. It's in a cutter bank right now. That The administration tells us that's gonna to go to humanitarian efforts, but you may have heard this on the news. That money is fungible. What does that mean? It means if I have $10,000 saved for a car and you give me 10,000 gift for that car, well, I can use my $10,000 for anything I wanna use it for. So the six billion has freed up Iranian money. They could do anything they want with it. And yes, it's going to be used for terror. It's a rogue terror nation. The worst one in the, world, in the planet. So we know that to that, Biden recently released this $6 billion, which was probably a green light for Iran to be able to use its proxy. And it has used its proxy. Hamas fighters did not do this on their own. This was well orchestrated, well planned out. I don't care what the State Department says in America, they, they're trying to save face because of this $6 billion. And that's not counting the $60 billion that was freed up in oil that Iran was able to sell. <clears throat> and also the, the dropping of all the sanctions that President Trump put in place. This would never have happened if Trump, whether you like him or not, it never would have happened on his watch because he had a show of strength. Our strength is not there. We've shown the world that we don't have strength when we pulled out of Iran and allowed our, our, our troops to be, to be murdered and left equipment, which by the way, billions of dollars of equipment. Now we know that in the black market, some of that equipment and some of those munitions have gone to Hamas 
through Iran. We know that, even our State Department knows that. So, again, uh, according to a 2020 U.S. State Department uh, report, 2020, Iran funnels over $100 million to Hamas yearly, and rockets and munitions and know-how and technical advisors and assistance. So we know that Iran is deeply involved in this. You can't ignore that. And they also, Iran also funnels to the north of Israel, which Iran supplies Hezbollah with rockets and with munitions, weapon systems. And 8% of its crude oil, Iran's crude oil, uh, they give to Hezbollah in Lebanon. Hezbollah in the north of Israel has 150,000 rockets. Many of them, unlike Hamas, have precision guidance systems and are focused on Israel. They can take out any city in Israel they want, pinpoint accuracy. So let's go back to Hamas, because that's where the war is originating right now. Hamas of Gaza are a branch off of the Muslim Brotherhood. You've heard me talk about them, another terrorist group. In their charter, this is Hamas's charter, which you're not seeing on the news and you should be seeing on the news, they have 36 separate articles. I have taken the charter and I have given some articles that pertain to what's happening right now. So this is the covenant of Hamas. I'm reading directly from the covenant. On the, on the destruction of Israel, that's one of the headings. Um, Israel will exist and will continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. That's in their preamble. Then this, Palestine is an Islamic land. By the way, there's no such land as Palestine. It's the Gaza Strip. Since this is the case, the liberation of Palestine is an individual duty. Every Muslim's taught this. For every Muslim, wherever he may be, it's Article 13. It goes on, a call to jihad, their holy war. The day the enemies usurp part of Muslim land, jihad, holy war, becomes the individual duty, every person, of every Muslim. In the face of the Jews' usurpation, it is compulsory that the banner of jihad be raised. That's Article 15. Here's a rejection of a negotiated peace settlement. You're going to hear everybody talk about peace. You're going to hear the squad talk about peace. You're going to hear the, the liberal news talk about peace. There's no such thing as peace to Hamas and these terrorists. It's in their charter. Listen, peace initiatives and so-called peaceful solutions and international conferences are in contradiction to the principles of the Islamic resistance movement. It goes on, I'm only giving snippets of it. It goes on to tell you that there's no way that they'll ever have peace with Israel. This is not negotiated. Condemnation of Israel-Egypt peace treaty. Egypt was, to a great extent, removed from the circle of struggle against Zionism. Through the treacherous Camp David Agreement, the Zionists are trying to draw other Arab countries into similar agreements in order to bring them outside the circle of struggle. Leaving the circle of struggle against Zionism is high treason, and cursed be he who perpetrates such an act. That's why this is happening. It's because we have the, the Abraham Accords, Muslim nations trying to have a peace agreement with Israel, Saudi Arabia being one of them, Qatar being another one, Bahrain. And so they, this is in their charter that they've, been, they've established for years that they're, they're against anyone that does that. That's why they were very, very close. Saudi Arabia and Israel is very close this last week to having an agreement. Now, again, give you a little bit of an understanding of it. I want to fill in the things that the news doesn't tell you. So let me go a little bit further with this agreement. Anti-Semitic incitement. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them. They believe them killing Jews and wiping them out will bring in the last days. They're, 
their, uh, they'll bring back their prophet. Uh, just like uh, just like we believe in Revelation, uh, Christ coming back. They believe Esau will come back. That's their name for Christ, and he will support the the lost the last Imam that will come back and bring peace to the world after they destroy the world. So then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, "Oh Muslim, there's a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him." That's Article Seven. The enemies have been scheming for a long time. This is them talking about the Jews in their charter and have accumulated huge and influential material wealth. That is a program, that is a lie, that the Jews own the world. That's a lie. Yes, there's, there's affluent Jews, yes, there are affluent, affluent, affluent Europeans or Africans. There's, but listen to what they said. With their money, they took control of the world media. With their money, they stirred revolutions in various parts of the globe. They stood behind the French Revolution, that's a lie. The Communist Revolution, a lie. And most communists were, had programs against Jews. And most of the revolutions we hear about, with their money, they formed secret organizations, such as Freemasons. Freemasons are not Jewish. Rotary clubs and lions, which are spreading around the world, in order to destroy societies and carry out Zionist interests. They stood behind World War I, another lie. They formed the League of Nations, a lie. That was done by, by President Truman, through which they could rule the world. That's because the Ottoman Empire, the last great caliphate, got taken down because of the League of Nations. That's why they're saying that. They were behind World War II. How did that work? Since six million of them were killed in World War II, through which they made huge financial gains. And that's one of the reasons why Akhmeda Dijad, when he was president of Iran, denied that there was a Holocaust. Because how could you have a Holocaust, kill six million Jews, and say the Jews are behind World War II? Listen, there is no war going on anywhere without them having their finger in it. What a bold-faced lie. How could they even say that? That's Article 22. So this is bringing you up to snuff on this mindset. This is not a conventional war. It's not a war at all. This is an attrition. This is something that says, we're gonna exterminate the Jews everywhere because they're responsible for every problem in the world. It's a big lie fed to people from when they're children. It's fed to them when they're children. There's a hatred deep, deep down. So tonight, I wanna give you a detailed history of Israel, specifically Jerusalem, because make no mistake about it, Jerusalem's always been the hot spot and it's always been wanting to be controlled. It's the third holiest site for Muslims. The Al-Aqsa Mosque is there. The, the battle that we just saw, uh, the incursion, was called the Al-Aqsa Flood. And so their, their main goal, not only to wipe out Jews, as I said, eliminate Israel from the face of the planet, but to gain control of their once, what they once controlled as the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the third holiest site in Islam, where they believe Muhammad flew to heaven on a winged horse. You talk about fairy tales. Muhammad, the, the Quran never talks about him being in Jerusalem. It says he was in a faraway city. So, as we go, again, you're gonna get a lot of information tonight. Maybe a little bit of information overload. I'm sure you'll get some of it and retain some of it. I know you will. So, tonight I wanna give you a detailed history of Israel, specifically Jerusalem. That's the main, the main set. And specifically the struggles to control that city for millennia. And yes, make no mistake about it, even though it's not in the news tonight, that's also there. Then specifically, I'm going to give you what has transpired with the Palestinians, specifically since 1917 until today. And finally, and this is probably something that every Bible student wants to know, how this war fits biblical prophecy. And it does, it fits biblical prophecy. First off, what is the Gaza Strip? What are the, what's the Golan Heights and the West Bank? And how did Israel get control of them? So. We know, and I want to give you this first. Let me see if I can get that first. So the Gaza Strip 
is right here. This is 1967. We'll go over this and I'll tell you about it. There was a six-day war. Uh, Israel, this were nations, Muslim nations. Israel is surrounded by 22 aggressive Arab nations. We know that Israel is about the size of New Jersey. You've been hearing people on the news tell you that Gaza is the size of, is, is the size of Delaware. It is not. It's only 140 square miles. It's 25 miles long by five to seven miles wide. They're telling you it's over two million people that are in there. That's not true. There's probably, it's very densely packed, the most densely packed area on the planet. But there's probably about 1.5 million, 1.6 million people. So as we go on, let me tell you how that in a six-day war, as we'll get there, when, and you'll show you maps, as all these nations surrounded Israel and tried to take it off the map, Israel was very successful. Thankfully, Golda Meir was the prime minister. And by the way, Israel's never asked America in all their wars for any troops on the ground. Never. Um, if you want to make a little comparison, I'm not sure I get the numbers totally right. But so far, we've given Ukraine $80 billion uh, to fight their war. In the history of Israel since 1948, we've only given Israel somewhere in the neighborhood of about $20 billion. So that's over the whole history. So they really are reticent to ask us for any help. They have never asked us for troops on the ground. I don't know if that'll continue the way, this way, but maybe it will. And just to throw a little bit more history in there for you, one of the most... One of the, he was not looked at well in America for lots of other reasons, probably legitimate. But one of the presidents that helped save Israel in the 1967 a Six-Day War was, was um, Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon had a grandmother who would tell him when he was growing up, don't forget Israel, pray for Israel, be there for Israel. Golda Meir thought she was gonna, they were going to lose the battle in 1967. She called Richard Nixon up in, uh, at night and asked him for weapons and for, and for military jets. He said all he could remember is his grandmother saying, help Israel, and he did. So, again, we're throwing a lot of history in here uh, so that you can understand what's going on. So as we see that, that is the, the, when they, the Six Day War, they took Gaza, they took the West Bank, which is where Jerusalem is, a heavily Muslim population. They took the Golan Heights in Syria, and they took the Sinai. They have since given the Sinai back to Egypt. The, goal, the uh, Gaza Strip was given back to Palestinian control in 2005. Uh, and basically, they elected, Palestinians elected Hamas. Hamas is the government, the legal government. They have done nothing for their people. They're living in abject poverty. Israel supplies everything to them. They supply their power. They supply their, their uh, food. They supply their water, which they just cut off. The reason why they cut it off, it's not because they're inhumane. They want to drive the civilians out so they're not involved in this, in this ground attack. And so they depend on Israel. Uh, and basically, this is what they get. Also, they, give, they allow them to come over. They allow thousands to come over with visas to work in Israel and get better pay. And so this is a one-sided thing, as you'll see. Now, let me go back and give you a little bit of the history. I'm sorry, uh, Shannon, I'm going back and forth. This is the history of Jerusalem. And again, it's a quick history. Let me give you the table of contents. 3500 BC, they call it BCE, it's actually BC. First settlement of Jerusalem, 2500 BC. First houses were built in the area. That was the early Bronze Age. Then the Middle Bronze Age, 1800 BC. First mention of Jerusalem in cuneiform in the Armana letters. A thousand uh, Iron Age, uh, 1200 BC. Jerusalem is conquered by the Canaanites, the Jebusites. This is a Joshua fight. Iron Age, 1000 BC. King David uh, conquers Jerusalem. He would fight them first. Uh, excuse me. Joshua would fight them first. King David would come. He'd conquer Jerusalem. He declares the city the capital of the Jewish kingdom. Way back in 1000 BC, Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. 
don't tell me that you and, and we waited until what till Donald Trump called it the capital a couple of years ago in 960 BC David's son King Solomon builds the first Jewish temple 71 BC the Assyrian ruler Sennacherib lay siege to Jerusalem 586 BC a big day a big day, Babylonian forces destroyed Jerusalem and demolished the first temple. You can read about all of that in your Bible. Persian period, 539 BC, Persian ruler Cyrus the Great uh, conquers Babylonian Empire, including Jerusalem. 516, Cyrus permits the Jews in Babylon exile, Babylon exile to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their second temple. That's why when Trump was in office, there are coins that were printed in Israel with Cyrus the Great's picture on it and Donald Trump's, because Donald Trump did as much for Israel as Cyrus the Great did. So we go a little further, 445 to 425 BC. Nehemiah, the prophet, rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. The city is confined to the Eastern Hill. It was a very limited building of the walls. Then we have what's called the Hellenistic period or the Greek period. 332 BC, Greek leader Alexander the Great conquers Judea and Jerusalem. The high priests come out, Josephus tells us, to meet him and instead of destroying the temple or destroying anything they have, he is recognized as a great, rule, great leader and he allows the Jews to continue to, to practice their religion. 332 to 141 BC, the Ptolemaic and Seleucid rule in Jerusalem. So when Alexander the Great died, he gave his kingdom, he divided out his four generals. Ptolemy and Seleucid were two of their generals. And so he did that. Let me go on a little further. The Hasmonean period. This is 63 BC. The Roman general Pompey captures Jerusalem. So we've seen Assyria have control of the world. We've seen Persia overcome Assyria, Babylon, then Assyria, then the Persians overcome it. Then Rome conquers the world. So Israel and Jerusalem in specific goes back and forth to these different hands that conquer the world. The occupation of Rome comes in 63 BC. In 30, the Herodian period, Herod, 37, King Herod reconstructs the second temple, adding retaining walls, 35 acres, rebuilds that Kotel it's called, it's, also, it's the Temple Mount, and builds that, rebuilds that second temple. It takes them over 40 years to do it. 30, Jesus is crucified by Romans in Jerusalem, 29 to 30 AD. Then you have what's called the Roman period. Jesus predicted this. Uh, in 70 AD, they say C, it's AD, Roman forces destroyed Jerusalem and demolished the second temple. Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, not one stone will be left upon another. Again, the historian Josephus says that when the Roman soldiers came to the temple, they, they, there was gold in the temple. They burned the temple and they, they knocked over all the stones so they can get the gold that ran out. If you go to Rome today, in the uh, Roman Forum, uh, you will see that uh, Roman city, you old city, you will see an arch, the arch of Titus. The Titus is the one that the, the general that destroyed Rome. You will see an arch, and on that arch you'll see Jews. Uh, you'll see a relief of Jews, and you'll see a relief of them as slaves, and you'll see a menorah that was captured during that time. Then you have the Byzantine period. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre was built. Constantine, the Roman emperor, became saved, if you will. He became a Christian. He had a vision. In Oxygne Vinces. In this sign, conquer, he saw a cross. And he, he conquered a huge army that outnumbered him 10 to 1. Uh, Maxilian was the general. And he, he made Christianity the national religion in Rome, where it used to be they were persecuted. I know it's a lot of information. I hope you're following me tonight. And so he sends his mother uh, to uh, St. Anne to Israel to commemorate the spots of Christianity. She finds three places where people are worshiping. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is believed where Jesus was crucified and buried. She builds a church there, oldest church in the world. 
Then she builds one on the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended, where people were worshiping, worshiping. And then she builds one, the church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, where Jesus actually was born in a cave and the church is over it. So the uh, 629, oh, excuse me, 614, the Persians captured Jerusalem. There's a back and forth, uh, back and forth thing for Jerusalem because the Muslims right now are, growing, are gaining ground. Well, they won't gain ground yet. The Persians are gaining it before them. So they conquered Jerusalem. By 629, the Byzantine Christians recaptured Jerusalem from the Persians. Then the first Muslim period, the Dome of the Rock is and and Islam and Muhammad is around 635 AD. 638, Caliph Omar enters Jerusalem. 661 to 750, Jerusalem is ruled under the Umayyad dynasty. If I took you to Israel today on the southern wall, right where before the steps where Jesus went up, there's another wall that was built in this era to to a house a tem, a, house, a house for the Umayyad ruler. In 691, the Dome of the Rock was built on the site, destroying uh, and destroyed Jewish temples. So Islam had conquered Jerusalem and they set the Dome of the Rock there. 750 to 974, Jerusalem is ruled by the Abbasid dynasty. It's the one that conquered the, or came after the Umayyad. These were the caliph, caliphates. They want to rule the whole world. Crusader period, 1099. What happens is the Pope starts to make a series of crusades to recapture the Holy Land. And first crusaders capture Jerusalem. Then there's the Ayyubid period. Saladin, or Salahadin, captures Jerusalem from the crusaders in 1187. And then 1229 to 1244, the crusaders briefly recaptured Jerusalem two, two times. Then there's the Malamute period. And again, I know this is a lot of history. I'm getting you to up to date so that we can get really close to what's happening today. The Muslim caliph, caliph dismantles the walls of Jerusalem. The population rapidly declines. The Jews spread everywhere. Ottoman Empire. This is another caliphate. This is World War I. It's before World War I. The Ottoman Empire starts in 1517. And they capture Jerusalem. Suleiman, the Magnificent, rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. It's a Muslim city. Then the British Mandate of 1917. We have 1917 British capture Jerusalem in World War I, destroying the Ottoman Empire. Divided city. 1948 to 1967, the state of Israel is established in 1948. Jerusalem is divided by an armistice lines between Israel and Jordan. It's still divided today. Reunification, I told you about the 1967 Six-Day War. Israel captures Jerusalem's old city and eastern half and reunites the city. And so even though there's Muslims still living there in a divided city, it's Jerusalem, it's Israel's city. So I brought you a little bit up to date on that. I wanna go a little bit further now and show you what's going on. So in 1967, to reiterate, that's when they captured these things. You can see Jerusalem, they captured the entire West Bank. Why is it called the West Bank? This is the Jordan River. It separates Israel from Jordan. This is the West Bank of the Jordan River. It includes all of these cities. Some of them very highly Muslim populated, like Ramallah. And uh, so we, we, it, it, we see that these Jews have been, or these Muslims have been displaced. Similarly, the Muslims in Gaza, many of them were displaced. So the war continues. Now, World War I, here's we'll bring you up to today, because this is what involves the Palestinians. Palestine, there is no such thing as Palestine. The Romans named it uh, Palestinia, and uh, just that area, all, all of Israel, they named Palestinia. It stuck. They named, Israel, uh, they named Jerusalem Ayatollah Capitolina. That didn't stick. But Palestine, there is no such thing. You see a, a fly, Ilya Omar has flying the flag outside of, out of her Congress, uh, office. There's no such thing as a flag. Countries have flags. There's no flag. There's no, it's not a country. 
Um, so we understand that. It's a, it's a group of people living in an area. And by the way, they're not the Philistines. People get that wrong. Philistines were sea raiders during David's time. These are not Philistines. These are Arabs. Sea Philistines would be more Greek than this. So let's talk about this, this last century. World War I, the question, question of Palestine. The Ottoman Empire, I mentioned before, Caliphate, had controlled that part of the Middle East from the early 16th century, as I showed you, until control of most of the region was granted to the British after World War I. The British conquered the Ottoman Empire. That, that area was given to the British. France also had a little hand in it. In 1917, Britain's Foreign Secretary, Lord Arthur Balfour, expressed his government's support for the establishment in Palestine, all of Israel is called Palestine, of a national home for the Jewish people. In a letter to Baron Walter Rothschild, yep, the rich Rothschild, but the head of the British wing of the influential European Jewish banking family. And that's where they get the fact that the Jews control everything. He was head of a banking family. That banking family was instrumental politically, not, not to try to do anything else. It wasn't a Jew that sent it to, it wasn't a Jew that came up with the, with the Holy Land. It was, it was Lord Arthur Balfour. To, his, to Israelis, the missive mark of formal utterance of the Israel state's right to exist to Palestinians it was an early sign of their dispossession. They did not take it well. The declaration also noted that it was clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine. There was a peace, they wanted a peace. They said no one should have any aggression here. There was plenty of land. Remember that the land mass of the Arabs uh, and Muslims is almost 15 times the size, no, 30 times the size of what Israel has nodding to the overwhelming majority Arab population in the region at the time. In other words, the Jews can't be aggressive to them, and they weren't. Large-scale Jewish immigration followed in succeeding decades, including during Nazi persecution and the Holocaust. So this was the battle for Haifa in 1918, World War I. 1948, Israel declares independence. After World War II, and by the way, let me just say another thing. When Israel started coming into the land, most of it was swamp. They planted, especially in the north, they planted mangrove trees and dried up the swamps and made it habitable. Matter of fact, they fulfilled scripture where it said the, the rose will blossom in the desert. And so they made it habitable. The, the Muslim population was not living in most of Palestine at that time, Israel. So the Jews, the migrating Jews, set up kibbutzim, a collective areas where they can farm the land, where they can put their resources together and build up the land. They did that all the way from 1917 to 1948 and beyond. So after World War II, nearing the end of the British Mandate for Palestine, the United Nations General Assembly in 1947, the United Nations passes Resolution 181, using the partition of the land into two independent states, one Arab, one Jewish. Religiously significant Jerusalem is to be under special international administration. The plan is not implemented after the Arab side rejects it, arguing that it's unfavorable to their majority population. Violence in the region, regional conflict grows. Interesting to me. The UN was the first one to say, listen, we want to give Israel their land and we want to make sure that they have rights to a statehood, and the Arabs do too. They propose it, Proposition 181, Resolution 181, and the Arabs rejected it. They said, we don't want peace. Now watch. Israel declares its independence in May 1948. And by the way, uh, Alabama was the first state in the United States to welcome, to accept their independence and accept them as a nation. America, in general, accepted Israel as a nation 11, 11 minutes after they declared that they were a nation. 
the next day, May 1948, the next day, a coalition of Arab states allied with Palestinian factions, here's where it starts, attacks Israeli forces in what becomes the first of several Arab-Israeli wars. In the end, Israel gained control of an even larger portion of the territory, not including the areas of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. So Israel had a small piece. And then after this war of 1948, they started to expand. By the way, that's Bible prophecy. Israel will, will be able to possess eventually every place that Abraham's foot stepped. God promised them the land. Promised them the son, promised them the land. Abraham walked from Ur the Chaldees. He walked straight up the Euphrates River, hang, hung a left at, at the Mediterranean Sea, went all the way down to what we know as Egypt today. So you could square that off. That's the land that God has promised Israel. And every war that has happened, they've gained more and more land. So let's go a little further. So that's Israel, Israel's Declaration of Independence, May 1948. So let's talk, jump to 19, July 1956. In the meantime, there's all these skirmishes happening constantly, not massive wars, but all these skirmishes because there were never, there's never a settled peace. The Suez Crisis. Egyptian President Gamal Abdel Nasser nationalizes the Suez Canal, a vital trade route connecting the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Israel invades Egypt followed by forces from, they were cutting Israel off by taking this, the, the uh, Suez Canal. Uh, invades Egypt, followed by forces from Britain and France. So this was, a, this was a, a world war thing because almost, it wasn't a world war, but it was a big war because uh, they were going, the Muslims were going to control the trade through the Suez Canal. That means that the world would have suffered, and Israel specifically. A peace deal backed by the United States and Soviet Union ends the fighting, but the canal is blocked by sunken ships and doesn't reopen until 1957. The uh, Muslims are trying, the Islam is trying, to, is trying to blockade the world. That's some of the fighting in the Suez Canal. Let's go to June 1967, the war I mentioned before. In June of 1967, a war known as the Six-Day War, where this 1967 Arab-Israeli war breaks out amid lingering conflicts. They've been going on for a while, including Egypt's continual blockade into the Gulf of Aqaba this time, Israeli warplanes strike Egyptian airfields, and Israeli ground forces enter the Sinai Peninsula. Jordan joins the fighting alongside Egypt. Jordan was against Israel. But Israeli forces have the upper hand after wiping out Egypt's air power. They took out every airplane that Egypt had. Israel takes control of the Gaza Strip. There's where it starts. The Sinai, the West Bank, the Golan Heights, and predominantly Palestinian East Jerusalem, the Arab armies suffer massive losses. This is the Six-Day War. And so as you see that, that's, the, that's where they got the control because they were, they were resisted by all those nations, those Arab nations. Summer of 1972. Of course, the fighting is always there. The skirmishes are already there. The Munich Olympics attack. At the 1972 Munich Summer Olympics, a group of Palestinian extremists from the Black September group raid the Olympic Village dorm where Israeli athletes are housed. They kill two athletes and take nine others as hostages all of them are killed soon after. Talk about innocent civilians. These were young men that were just Israeli, Israeli athletes in the, in, the, in the village, in the Olympic village. There's a picture of one of the Palestinians when they raided the dorm. October 1973, Arab coalition attacks Israel. This is the Yom Kippur War. This is the war that they were celebrating uh, the victory over 50 years later in the music festival that we, we hear of in the news. On a Sabbath, Hamas and Islam, radical Islam, knows 
that they're going to attack on Sabbaths. They, they, they understand that the Israelis are not supposed to work on Sabbath, religious Jews. So, a coalition of Arab nations led by Egypt and Syria launched a surprise coordinated attack on Israel on Yom Kippur, a Jewish holiday. The Arab forces initially gained ground, but are driven back by an Israeli counteroffensive aided by supplies from allies, including what I told you before, President Nixon in the United States. There are heavy death tolls on both sides. You want to see the conflict? There it is. These are the nations, blue and red, the Arab coalition that when they, they took them on all sides, not just Gaza, not just Golan, they took them on all sides. They surrounded them and they attacked them. There was no way Israel should have survived this war. No way. There's reports in Israel, there's tanks when you go up to Jerusalem, there's old tanks from 1967, from 1973, and there's testimonies from generals that said they saw lightning coming down and taking out the, the, the Syrian and the Egyptian tanks, and they're still there at that spot. Listen, God has protected this nation, uh, and he's going to continue to protect it. Let me give you a little bit further. September 1978. So we're edging towards peace. Now remember, Palestinians don't want peace. Camp David Accords, a peace agreement between Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin, known as the Camp David Accords, is brokered in September 1978 by U.S. President Jimmy Carter. It lays the foundation for a peace deal between the two countries the next year, including Israel's eventual withdrawal from the Sinai Peninsula. They gave it up. They gave it back to, to Egypt. It also sets out a framework for a process of Palestinian self-government in the West Bank and Gaza. So they were actually thinking of giving them the West Bank and Gaza to self-rule. Uh, potential Palestinian peace proposals are discussed, but they're never carried out. Why? If you want a two-state solution, there it was. Why didn't they want it? Because the Palestinian charter I read to you says they're never going to want peace. They want war. They want to kill Jews. They want to take back Israel. They want Jerusalem. This was the Camp David Accords. By the way, pretty interesting. Let me throw another thing of history in here. When Anwar Sadat and Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin sat down, the first thing they did, I just did a wedding and I did this, they had little salt pouches and they exchanged salt. They took some out of one, put it in another, and some out of another, and put it in that. Most people didn't know the significance, but it was a covenant, a salt covenant. When, Ju when Rome was, was ruling in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, the Roman soldiers were paid by salt. Uh, salt was, would preserve their food, preserve their, feet, their fish their meat, and basically what would happen is they were able to fight on the, on the field longer without food reserves because of salt. So they had little pouches they carried with them. And we know that David made, the Bible talks about God having a salt covenant with, with David. We get our word, it was, it was called white gold. We get our word, it was called the salarium that they gave, the paying the Jews. We get our word salary from it. And so, it was, so they did that, and I knew once they did that, that this was a covenant that wasn't going to be broken, and it still isn't. Egypt has peace right now with, uh, with um, Israel. Of course, both those men suffered tremendously, tremendously for it. I believe both of them were assassinated. 19, December 1987, the first intifada. Again, intifada is a war. A Palestinian uprising, or intifada means uprising, brings largely spontaneous clashes, protests, civil disobedience against Israeli occupation in the West Bank, Gaza and Israel. Now they wanted to give that, the West Bank and Gaza back over to them. So why would they fight? They wanted to give, the, give them self-rule. They don't want self-rule. They want everything. Leading to harsh military, Israeli military crackdowns. Unrest continues for years with many killed or injured on both sides. That's the first intifada. 1993 Oslo Accords. The first two pack, of two pacts known as the Oslo Accords are signed between Israel and the Palestinian Liberation 
organization, the PLO, selling, setting out a peace process based on a previous UN revolution, resolutions, it's resolution 181, and charting the expansion of a limited Palestinian self-rule in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. They would actually, Israel would actually pull out of Gaza in 2005, and the Palestinians would elect Hamas as their government. The agreement created a Palestinian authority to oversee most administrative affairs in those areas. The PLO is recognized by Israel and the United States as a negotiating partner. Left unresolved, however, are key issues such as Israeli settlements in the West Bank and the status of Jerusalem, which is viewed by the Palestinians as the capital of any future Palestinian state. Now, the settlements in the West Bank, the set, that, that's a problem. Also, that's what are, that's what are on the uh, border that the, Pal that the Palestinians, that Hamas uh, breached their settlements there. Those kibbutzim are settlements. So the Palestinian Hamas do not want them there. They want to control that area. So hopefully you're starting to put this together. That is that accord. Then the second intifada is in 2000. My son was living in Israel during this intifada. There were no tours going everywhere, uh, anywhere there. Uh, my wife and I went, because he was there for several months, going to school, we went there. And in my hotel room, we could see the bombs exploding. Uh, it was a, there was a warning not to travel there. The second intifada, or Palestinian uprising, begins after riots broke out following a visit by right-wing Israeli political figure Ariel Sharon. Uh, he actually walked up the Temple Mount, later Prime Minister, to a compound in Jerusalem that is venerated in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Clashes and other violence continued in 2000, until 2005, leaving hundreds dead on both sides. That's the second intifada. 2006, Hamas elected in Gaza. Here's where we get real close to where we are today. So Israel withdraws its troops from Gaza in 2005. The Palestinian militant group Hamas wins the legislative elections the next year, leading to political strains with the more moderate Fatah party controlling the West Bank. After Hamas's 2007 takeover of the Gaza Strip, Israel imposed a 16-year blockade on the small, overcrowded Palestinian enclave that's home to close to 2 million people, Palestinians, limiting the mobility of goods and people in and out of the territory. They control it. Israel has deepened Gaza's humanitarian crisis, the United Nations says, but without Israel, they wouldn't be able to live at all. Most Gazans live in refugee camps and rely on UN rations and Israeli support. The West Bank, home to 3 million Palestinians, where Jews, uh, Jerusalem is, more than half a million Jews living in settlements deemed illegal under international law, UN again, is occupied by Israel and subject to its military administration. Checkpoints, like in Bethlehem. A wall that keeps out any militants. Several rights groups have said Israel's regime over Palestinian amounts to apartheid. You're hearing that right now in college campuses like Harvard as they're signing petitions against Israel, blaming Israel for this massacre. It's ridiculous. In a 2022 report, Amnesty International said it analyzed Israel's intent to create and maintain a system of oppression and dominate over Palestinians, including through territorial fragmentation, segregation and control, dispossession of land and property, the denial of economic and social rights. The group concluded this is apartheid. The world has been against Israel from the get-go. This is not apartheid. This is Israel trying to control a satanic group of militants and Palestinians that cannot be controlled, that don't want peace. It's not apartheid, it's protecting your land. If we had militants coming from Mexico, which we probably do, and, and from Canada, and, and killing all of us, coming into our homes and killing all of us, for years and years and years, you would protect those borders. That's what they're doing. 
So the world is totally against them. The UN is totally against them. And let me just tell you this, when Israel makes, when they make their incursion into Gaza and start leveling the place, which they've been stopped from doing, by the way, but usually by America and the world international community, the news is gonna change, it's gonna turn on them. CNN right now is talking about all the atrocities, I promise you. They're gonna start interviewing left-wing left -wing, um, Democratic candidates. They're gonna start interviewing left-wing political uh, entities, they're going to start bringing Muslims in and interviewing them, and they're going to start going against Israel. They always do. It's a shame that we hear this. Israel has a right to defend itself. Every nation has a right to defend itself. We should never say that. Every nation has a right to defend itself. I don't want to preach it tonight. I want to continue to give you some of the facts. This is the that's Hamas, its leader, uh, when they was elected in 2006. December 2008, Israel attacks Gaza. Israel begins three weeks of attacks on Gaza after rocket barrages. Notice it's after rocket barrages into Israel by Palestinian militants. They would never go in there if there wasn't a rocket barrage. Palestinians always start it, who are supplied by tunnels from Egypt. More than 1,100, 1110 Palestinians and at least 13 Israelis are killed. This is the Israeli attacks in, in Gaza. November 2012, Israel kills Hamas military chief. Israel's Mossad is an amazing, amazing um, network. It hunts down all the time. I'm surprised, to be honest with you, that this attack was not seen by Israel. They see everything. It makes me believe that there's some masterminds behind it. Israel kills Hamas military chief Ahmed Jabari, touching off more than a week of rocket fire from Gaza and Israeli airstrikes. At least 150 Palestinians and six Israelis are killed because there's no ground attack. That's the Israeli killing the Hamas military chief. He's actually underneath that rubble. Summer 2014, Hamas kills three Israeli teenagers. Notice, always civilians. They'll kill soldiers, but they could care less. They just want to kill Jews. Israel tries not to kill any civilians. Hamas militants kill three Israeli teenagers kidnapped near a Jewish settlement in the West Bank, prompting an Israeli military response. Hamas answers with rocket attacks from Gaza. A seven-week conflict leaves more than 2,200 Palestinians dead in Gaza. In Israel, 67 soldiers and six civilians are killed. Those are the three teenagers that were indiscriminately murdered by Hamas militants. December 2017, U.S. recognizes Jerusalem as capital. The Trump administration finally, finally, listen, this, this, um, this, this uh, article to recognize Jerusalem as the capital was on, was on American president's tables for, since 1948. No one ever recognized Jerusalem. Their capital was in, was in on our, on our embassy in Tel Aviv. Trump was the first one, again, that had the guts to do this. The Trump administration recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Remember I told you Palestinians wanted it as their capital. And announced that it plans to shift the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv, stirring outrage from Palestinians. That's the embassy of the United States. That's the sign that was going up in Jerusalem. 2018, protests in Gaza. Protests take, could you tell how long this is? I'm not giving you everything. This is just to give you up to stuff of what's happening because you're not getting it anywhere. Protests take place in Gaza along the fence with Israel, including demonstrations hurling rocks and gasoline bombs across the barrier. Israeli troops kill more than 170 protesters over several months. In November, Israel stages a covert raid in Gaza because the incursions from Gaza have gotten so, so popular. At least seven suspected Palestinian militants and a senior Israeli army officer are killed. From Gaza, hundreds of rockets again are fired into Israel. 
How would you like to live in a nation like that where you didn't know from one day to another if you had to take cover? And by the way, some of them only had 20 seconds to take cover in their houses. May 2021, Israeli police raid Al-Aqsa Mosque. After weeks of tension in Jerusalem lead, uh, lead to Israeli police raiding an Al-Aqsa Mosque, one of the holiest sites in Islam, Hamas fires thousands of rockets towards the city. This is towards Jerusalem. Thought it was their holy site. Hamas fires thousands of rockets towards the city, prompting Israel to retaliate with hundreds of airstrikes. In the fiercest fighting since at least 2014, more than 200 are killed in Gaza and at least 10 killed in Israel. That's the police raiding the al By the way, Jerusalem owns the Al-Aqsa owns the site of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They own the Temple Mount. They allow the Muslims to worship there. Spring 2022, getting close to the prophecy. A string of terrorist attacks in Israel. A spate of violence on Israelis by Palestinians leaves 14 Israelis dead in a handful of attacks between March 22nd and April 8th. In response, Israel clamps down on militants and activists. Remember, it's always a reaction, never going in first and launches the Break the Wave military operation in West Bank, which makes 2022 a particularly deadly year. Um, this article is shared quite a bit. Israeli forces kill 146 Palestinians in the West Bank in 2022, a death toll higher than in any other year since the United Nations began keeping records in 2005. Israel's foreign ministry says Palestinians killed 29 Israelis that year. This is 2022 death from Palestinian terrorist attacks on Israel. 46 of them were shootings, killing, killing um, civilians. Uh, four of them were combined uh, attacks, IEDs, two deaths, two deaths, stabbing, 25 deaths, 29%, vehicular homicide, ramming, seven deaths. January 2023, we're getting to this year. The Israeli raid on Jenin. Israeli forces raid the Palestinian city of Jenin, killing nine people in a shootout. The next day, the Palestinian gunmen killed seven people, including children, during prayers at an East Jerusalem synagogue. Why did Israel raise Janine? Because Janine was having, uh, having people, having terrorist attacks all over that area. This is the Janine. Summer 2023, this year, retaliatory attacks flare. It's a tit for tat attack. Israeli launches surprise attack airstrikes across Gaza Strip in May killing three top militants and 10 others. They're searching out these military officers, including women and children, health officials say, although was never confirmed. That sets up a five-day bout of violence that kills at least 33 people in Gaza and two in Israel. On June 19th, Israeli forces raid Janine, deploying again, deploying helicopter gunships to the West Bank for the first time since the second intifada. The next day, two Hamas gunmen opened fire at a hummus restaurant, civilians, an Israeli settlement killing four Israelis. Hundreds of Israeli settlers then rampaged through Palestinian villages, touch, torching homes and cars and shooting at residents, according to local officials. Israel also carries out its first drone strike in the West Bank since 2006, killing three suspected militants. In July, Israel staged an air and ground attack with a thousand soldiers backed by drone strikes against a refugee camp inside Jenin, where all of the Palestinian, where all of the terrorists were coming, not Palestinian, West Bank terrorists, killing 12 people. The operation marks the start of an extensively counterterrorism effort that the Israeli Defense Forces say will continue indefinitely. What was happening? Again, we're gonna bring you up to stuff and then tell you some Bible prophecy. I know it's a lot of information. You don't get this anywhere. I want you to understand the mindset of the pathos of what's going on here. So this battle, this back and forth, has happened a lot. It's happened since 1948. It's never had full peace, ever. It's a, it's, it's a ruse to think they have. 
Has it been safe to go there? Of course it has. I've been there 50 times and basically I've never found, I've seen some rockets going off the Intifada, but I've taken groups there. Uh, both Muslims and Jews get their living from tourists from all over the world. So far there's been 2.5 million people that have traveled to Israel this year alone. None of them have ever been harmed. So is it a safe place to go now? No, of course not. Will it die down? It will. Usually when you have a skirmish like this, especially this, this big, it'll all go all, all for, for, for not everything at once. And then after that, it'll be a settling down. Will there be skirmishes while that settling down is going on? Of course. They will continue to throw rockets at the south, which tours never go to. And hopefully not to the north, which they usually don't. Because that will bring Iran into the war, and that will bring the United States into the war. So, let me go a little further. That's the retaliatory attacks in 2023. So, right up to October, right up to today. Israel says it's at war after Hamas attacks. And let me tell you how I know they're at war. Because Benjamin Netanyahu is the Likud party leader, the Prime Minister of Israel. He has an opposition by the name of Gantz and several others. He does not necessarily control a whole lot. He's had his own internal problems with trying to change the, the legislative branch of their government. But they have declared a, a unity. In the last couple of days, they have a united political front. They have declared a war cabinet, and they're, they're one right now, no longer divided. That's equivalent to every Democrat and every Republican in the House and in the Senate getting together and say, we are one. So they mean business. This is something that they've clouded out 360,000 reserves. And by the way, if you're a Jew, even if you're an American Jew, you serve in the Israeli army if you're a man for three years. You serve there if you're a woman for two years. And you're able to be called up as a reserve until you're 45 years old. So they're pulling more and more people out of their homes just to fight this. So Netanyahu formally declares war on Hamas October 8th. Big statement. Well, a surprise assault by Hamas militants that came a day after the 50th anniversary of the start of the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Israeli's Air Force began striking Hamas targets in Gaza after Hamas militants infiltrated Israeli territory from the Gaza Strip, including a par by paragliders and over the sea. And there again, I don't understand that because Israel is very dutifully in seeing anything that crosses that border. You wouldn't believe the security. I'm not sure how they got over. Israeli military leaders say, Israeli says at least 900 Israelis have been killed. That's up to 1,200 right now. Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a militant group in Gaza, say it's holding Israeli soldiers captive. That's the other, the, other the other military group, including the elderly, the Holocaust survivors, women and children. Meanwhile, Hamas military commander Mohammad Deith urges Arab neighbors, including Lebanon, Iraq, Syria, and Yemen, to start marching now. They want an all-out war, saying that it's time for the Arab resistance to unite their charter. We call for the movement towards Palestine. A counterattack of airstrikes by Israel in Gaza kills more than 680 Palestinians. That number is up to 1,000. So basically what we're seeing right now is an incursion. Israel's going to go in by ground. It's going to be tough. It's going to be, they, the Palestinians will use, their, will use their own people and they'll use the, the hostages as human shields. They fire rockets from hospitals. They fire rockets from, from apartment complexes, from schools. And so they have, there's booby traps everywhere. They'll have to go house to house. They have got to raise Gaza. They've got to level it all. And they have to get every Hamas person out of there. What they do after that is to try to find some type of government or take back control. But without it, I've showed you the history, it'll continue. It'll continue and continue. There'll be more players that come in and they'll start to organize even more. Now, this is the October attacks. Uh, the Iron Dome taking out those rockets. That's where you see those trailers coming for.
So, the list of main Arab-Israeli conflicts, before I get to Bible prophecy. And again, we're going a little bit, well, we're about an hour right now. It won't be much longer. I want you to just hear it. So, 1948-49, Arab-Israeli war. Who were the belligerents? Well, Arab League was against Israel. 56, Sinai War. The Arab League, the uh, France, in, uh, France, UK, and Israel fought Egypt. Uh, Egypt was against them. Six-day war, 1967. We have Lebanon, Iraq, Jordan, Syria, and Egypt against Israel. 1967-70, the War of Attrition. We have Syria, Jordan, Palestine, USSR, and Egypt against Israel. Actually, USSR was on Israel's side. They were giving, I'm sorry, USSR at this time was giving munitions to the Palestinian Jordanians. The 1973 Yom Kippur War, Egypt and Syria were fighting Israel. 1982-85, the War over Lebanon. You have Israel Pal is, is being fought by Palestine, Hezbollah, and Lebanon. 1987-1983, First Intifada. Palestine against Israel. 2000-2004, Al-Aqsa Intifada. Palestine against Israel. 2006, Second Lebanon War. Hezbollah against Israel. 2008-9, Gaza War. Palestine against Israel. And today, Palestine against Israel. So, as we conclude here, I want to give you some prophecy. Actually, let me get here first. Here's the prophetic verses of the last day wars in Israel. I'm skipping down. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a war against Israel. It's called the War of Gog and Magog. Now you hear a lot of Bible prophecies tell you when this war is going to happen. We don't know. We know that if you read it, you'll find out some of those old nations are the current nations today. We know that this war is going to take place either before the rapture, a pre-tribulation rapture, which I believe in, or during it. I definitely believe, I do, that it's going to happen pre-tribulation rapture. This is going to happen. There's a the Psalm 83 war which is definitely going to happen before the rapture. It's an Arab coalition war. This may spark it. I'm not saying it is it, but I'll show you how it may spark it. In the Isaiah 17, Damascus will be destroyed in an hour. When Isaiah wrote that, a thousand years before Christ, um, there was no way Damascus would be destroyed in an hour. Damascus has 22 aggressive terrorist groups living inside of it. It's a hub in Syria. Syria is also behind some of these attacks. And so Syria, matter of fact, Israel's bombing sites in Syria right now. Not to mention sites they're bombing in Iran and have been bombing because of nuclear. Iran has said it. If they go nuclear, they're going to take out Tel Aviv, two and a half million people. So this is not, this is a serious, serious thing. The aggression has been there. Isaiah 17 talks about that happening. That's down the line. That's future. So let me tell you about the Psalm 83 war. That's the one that interests me the most right now because I think it's prophetic of what we're seeing. Psalm 83. Asaph reads, writes it. O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning, they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation. Does that sound familiar? So that Israel's name is remembered no more. It's in their charter. Iran is calling for it right now. The Ayatollah is laughing and saying the Palestinians did a great job. They're calling, I just read you something where they're calling for Palestinians tonight and all, the, nation, all the, the Muslim nations that go against Israel. With one mind, they plot together. They form an alliance against you, his children. The tents of Edom, these are the old nations, and the Ishmaelites of Moab, and the Hagarites, Byblos, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, Philistines. Philistia could be could be Palestinian, not the Philistines, the area. With the people of Tyre, that's Lebanon. Even Assyria has joined them. Syria, uh, to reinforce the Lord, Lot's descendants. 
Do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished at Endor and became like dung on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who say, let us take possession of the pasture lands of God, take over the land. Make them like tumbleweed by God, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, or flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are most high over all the earth. Man, you can't get any closer. So let me bring that up to stuff for you today. Let me read this to you. There's the prophetic wars. Psalm 83 lists a group of peoples, a confederacy, whose main enemy is Israel. Today there exists a worldwide jihad against the West, particularly aimed at the great Satan, that's us, the United States, and the despised Jews, the little Satan, the states of Israel. The physical descendants of ancient Israel, the English-speaking peoples, the democracies of northern, Northwest Europe, and the Jewish diaspora are the standard bearers of Western civilization. The same players are still in the game. Who has initiated this, the conflict over these last several years? For the most part, Islamists or fundamental Arabs have been the aggressors. Listen, every Arab is not a terrorist, but every terrorist in the Middle East is an Arab. The terrorists have mainly come from Saudi Arabia, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, North Africa, Iraq, etc. That is, Arab nations. The philosophical or religious underpinnings for these attacks have their source in the virulent and violent anti-Western teaching of Wahhabism spread from Saudi Arabia. Militant pan-Arab social hypocrisy hypocritically by a majority of Arabs who are themselves Semitic people, their cousins, descendants of Abraham. Je Genesis says Ishmael's descendants will war against his brothers. That's exactly what's happening. The Jews and the Arabs are brothers. Let me go a little bit further. Where have most of the attacks taken place? Although many of them have occurred in the Middle East, they have been predominantly against Western interests. Terror organizations have targeted Western peoples, planes, helicopters, ships, homes, shops, hotels, and embassies, anything Western seems to be fair game for them. Listen, for example, the bombing in Beirut against the U.S. military installation in 1983 killed hundreds of Marines in their barracks, and jihadists attacked the U.S. mainland on September 11, 2001. They were jihadists. The State of Israel, of course, has endured a heavy share of the militant Islamic violence since its founding in 1948. Let me interrupt myself. You don't think that open, that open southern border is not allowing jihadists in. We, we know that the, ghetto, the gotaways are 150 million. We know that 1.5 million, excuse me. We know that people are coming in and they're not vetted. Why aren't they vetted? Because they don't have, you can't fingerprint them and, and get their names in any data bank because none of these Arab nations will give you any information on them. So they're spread out over America. What happens when they push the button there? What happens when there's Islamic cell groups that erect in, in America and do havoc in a coordinated effort? We all know they want to be coordinated. 9-11 tells us that. This Al-Aqsa flood tells us that. Let me go on. More recently, Britain, Australia, France, and the Netherlands, Denmark, and other predominantly Israelite nations have also suffered terrorist atrocities. This is in, in no way discounts the terrorism that has also struck non-Israelite by Western nations like Spain and Italy. Putting Psalm 83 together with what we know about these nations' ancestries and what we see on the evening news, these prophecies are coming to pass before our eyes. Isaiah 17, the burden of Damascus, Syria. Behold, Damascus is taken away from being a city. It shall be a ruinous heap. The cities of Aor, that's in Jordan, by the way. Oh, excuse me, in Syria, by the way. 
They shall be for flocks, which shall lie down, and none shall make them afraid. The fortresses also shall cease from Ephraim, and the kingdom from Damascus, and the remnant of Syria. They shall be as glory of the children of Israel, saith the Lord of hosts. Woe to the multitude of many peoples, the coalition, which make a noise like the noise of the seas, and to the rushing of nations, they make a rushing like the rushing of mighty waters, a rushing in to destroy Israel. The nations shall rush like the rushing of many waters, but God, he's always on their side, shall rebuke them. They shall flee far off, and shall be chased as the chaff of the mountains before the wind, and like a rolling thing before the whirlwind. And behold, at evening tide trouble, and before the morning he is not. This is a portion of them that spoil us, and a lot of them that rob us. Our Bible says that God will avenge Israel. He has already. He has this little tiny nation, has defeated over and over and over again aggressive Islamic nations. And they will continue to do so. Why? Because God's on their side. Does he, does he back everything Israel does? Of course not. But he's made promises to them. And those promises are, they will never be wiped off the face of the earth. No matter what Islam says. No matter what aggressive terrorists say. No matter how much they kill. Here's what it is. Psalm 83 is this. Oh God, do something about the enemy. God knows what to do. But he wants to hear us on the issue. So tonight, before we're done, we're going to pray for Israel. I don't know if any questions have come in, but if you want to ask any questions, we'll try to do our best to answer them. I know there's a ton, a barrage of questions that can come in, and we'll, help, we'll try to answer them tonight. This is the most concise thing I can give you about the, about the history of Jerusalem, about the history of the Palestinian conflict with the Israelis, and about the things that are going on. So if you have any questions, you can write them in on YouTube. You can write them on Facebook. We'll try to answer as many as we possibly can if they come in. If not, uh, then we will continue to, we will, we will end by praying for Israel. I know we've gone a little bit longer tonight. Uh, I will hope I answered some of your questions. A lot of information, I understand that. But uh, this will be on YouTube. You can go back over it. It's on Facebook. We have a record number of people on Facebook listening. I'm not sure how many are listening right now, but we have a record number. And YouTube will have the same thing. This is the news. This is what we need to be told by the church. So what is our stance? Our stance is to say, Lord, protect Israel, protect the innocent. Do I want to see any innocent civilians killed in Palestine? I do not. But let me tell you this. Israel's warning them right now, get out. They, are, they realize that they have to hunt down Islam, Islamic Jihad and Hamas. Their first concern is to get back the hostages, which is not going to be easy. Will there be more deaths? There will, unfortunately. Um, this is a, a, a war of attrition. And we're going to see it happen. It's horrible, especially now. You have some questions? Why don't you ask me a couple of them? The first one is, if this is the Psalm 83. A question is, how will we know if this, if this is the Psalm 83 war? I'm going to answer that. In Psalm 83, it mentions some, some areas of Jordan. Our key right now is to look at Jordan. So far, Jordan has a peace. They've been silent a little bit. They've backed the Palestinians. If Jordan enters this war, it's Psalm 83. And so right now, all the nations are lined up except Jordan. So if Jordan enters the role, great question. Then we're really close to Psalm 83. Next question was, why do you believe Israel was caught off guard? That's a great question. Why do I believe Israel was caught off guard? Let me tell you why. Israel was caught off guard, and it's, it amazes me, it shocks me, to be honest with you. Because somebody was laying down a job. Israel has the greatest security ever. If you went to Israel, I've been everywhere, to the Golan, to the Gaza, there is a border between them. There's walls everywhere. If one person steps onto the, onto the neutral area, there's powder there. You can see a, a person's footprint. 
This had to overwhelm it. What they did, it had to be coordinated because even those gliders that came in, they're motorized. Israel would know that. They have put down rebellion coming across the wall over and over again. So this had to be coordinated in a massive way. They struck 12, at least 12 different areas on the wall, blowing them up with bulldozers coming in, with, with armored vehicles coming in, and took out, took out observation towers of Israel. I'm a little puzzled, to be honest with you, how that happened, because Israel's defenses are absolutely impenetrable. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Now, there's some things on the, on the news that are saying this, and I've heard some conspiracy theorists saying that Israel planned it, uh, and they allowed it to happen. That cannot be true, and it wouldn't be true. Israel never sacrifices its civilians. Several years ago, it gave up a thousand Palestinian, Palestinian jihadists in their jails for one, one single captured Israeli. So they will not sacrifice their people. So when you read things like that, don't believe it, because Israel won't do it. Again, it's a question. I'm not really sure, I'm not sure how, how it got past Israeli intelligence or American intelligence. They're all over that area. They know exactly, the bombs that have been hitting Gaza, there are men on the ground for Israel, probably from America, but we're not saying it, that are laser pointing those, the laser pointing those areas out, and the bombs are following those lasers. So they infiltrate that Gaza Strip quite a bit. So again, it's a great question. I don't, I don't know the answer for it. You've got a couple questions that are essentially, how close are we to the rapture of the church? Okay, questions, he says, there's several of them. How close are we to the rapture of the church? I don't know what other signs we have to see. The, the gospel has been preached all around the world. Uh, there are some people groups that haven't had it, but every, excuse me, there are some indigenous people that may have not had it, but every, every people group has had the gospel preached to them. We know the signs are there. When there's wars and rumors of wars, we're in it. Uh, we know that... Um, we know that the love of many will wax cold. We know that. We understand all these things are happening. The, the rapture is the next, the next occurrence prophetically on God's calendar. Now, you'll have people that think there's a mid-tribulation rapture or a post-tribulation rapture. I'm totally against that for a lot of reasons. One time I preached 50 verses why we were having a pre-tribulation rapture. And let me tell you what, what I believe. I believe that you're not under the wrath of God. The, 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 uh, the tribulation is the wrath of God against unbelief. You are the bride of Christ. Jesus is not going to put you under his wrath. Will tough times come? Sure. You don't have to put him in the seven-year tribulation period to have tough times. Uh, obviously, Christians in lots of parts of the world are having tough times right now. And so I do believe there's a pre-tribulation rapture. I do believe this is another sign. I do believe we're very close. And I do believe now is the time to get ready. Uh, do you think all the Muslims will attack all over the world if they are calling for it? The uh, question is, do I think Muslims will attack all over the world as they're calling for it? Let me, just, let me give you a distinction. I have friends that are Muslims. Not every Muslim, as I said, is a terrorist. They're Islamic fundamentalists, just like there are Christians. You have Christians that are nominal Christians. Then you have Christians who are fundamentalists. So Islamic terrorists, and when they radicalize people, those are the ones that will attack. To answer your question, they've already done that in different places, bombing embassies. And, and again, we see it in New York City, in Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles had a skirmish on the streets when, uh, when there was a pro-Israel rally and some Islamics stopped and, and had a fight. You probably saw it on the news. So do I believe that they will attack? We have police right now in America guarding, guarding synagogues. Anti-Semitism has been worldwide for a long, long time. So I hope they don't, but yes, I think there will be attacks. Okay, question is, what about the babies that are killed? Why would God allow that? And that is a question that I get all the time. Why do the innocent suffer? If God is God of love and God is good, why do the innocent suffer? Let me remind you 
that the fundamental problem is not God. God has given us free wills. We are in a, we're in a time where Adam has lost the ability to have closeness with God. Jesus gave it back to us on the cross, the second Adam from above. Will atrocities happen? As long as there's human will, atrocities will happen. Can God stop it? Of course he can stop it, but then he's going to have, then your, your human will is gone. There will be a day when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, it's not going to come from some Oslo Accord or from, or from Biden administration. It's going, to come from, it's going to come from Jesus himself when he sits on David's throne, which has been promised to him, and he rules the world for 1,000 years in a paradise. 1,000 years where humans will not kill each other. And yes, there'll be humans on the planet. Go to Revelation studies to see that. Why do children die? Let me tell you the good thing about it, and it's hard to believe. Innocent children die, but they're under the age of accountability. They immediately go to heaven. Immediately. Their children do not die and go to hell. They go to heaven if they're under the age of accountability. And I can say a couple things there. And I want to be very careful. We don't live in a good world. We're, we're thankful that we're protected in America. But most children in our world are suffering from poverty. They're suffering from, from, infant, in, from wars like this. It's almost merciful to see them. And again, I'm not saying that God wants this. He doesn't. It's man's choice. But let me remind you this. Those children will have a glory with God that's way beyond anything they could face in this world. Uh, where is the U.S. going to be in this? And should we prepare for anything? Um, the U.S., unfortunately, we have a soft... U.S. government. Biden is soft. This is why this is happening in mass. Again, the skirmishes have always been there. But something this bold had to happen when America was lying down. America showed the world it was lying down when we withdrew from Afghanistan and left billions of dollars of equipment there and sacrificed some of our soldiers. We didn't even leave from our own military base. We, we left from a commercial air base, which was subject to all kinds of, of terrorism. And so America has given us uh, Iran starting the Iran nuclear deal again, Biden has. We're telling them it's okay. We're cowering down. They know now is the time to strike. In the next year, while Biden is still president, in the next year you're going to see this increase everywhere. It already has. We need somebody in that White House that's going to take a strong stance. Does America have control of the world? No. God controls the world. But, and he allows things. Why? He allows this evil for a wise purpose. And that's a strong statement. But we have to see it. That's why... Even Satan exists. God could put him out of his misery. Totally. But how do you prove love? If God is love, people have to have a choice. And that choice is to love God or go the way of the world. Well, America, America is never mentioned in Bible prophecy. Ever. You can tell me about the wings of an eagle in Revelation chapter 11. It has nothing to do with America. America is not mentioned. Which means America has to have a full revival. And they're not a nation of any, of any, of any strength. Or... They're, they're, and they're raptured, or they're consumed by another nation, maybe like a European Union type of thing, maybe in the Northern Hemisphere, or they're conquered by another nation. And I remind you, China's watching this, so is Russia. Taiwan is just a step away from an invasion. What does America do when it's sending billions of dollars to Ukraine? billions of dollars to Israel, and then billions of dollars to Taiwan, which is another democratic uh, nation that, we, that is our ally. It spreads us out to a point where we can't do a thing. Yes, there's, a, there's a, a destroyer that's in the waters right now trying to prevent something. Yes, Biden has some strong words, but words aren't going to do this. He needs to freeze those Iranian assets right now, and he needs to give that money back to Israel to be able to, 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 be able to rebuild the things that have been destroyed. That would send a clear, no, a clear message to our world. Unfortunately, he's not going to do that. He's soft on the world, and the world knows it. America is in 
dire straits right now. Not only are you talking about economically or our southern border. Uh, why do you believe God has allowed this to happen? Judgment, question mark? Um, the question is, why do I believe God allowed it to happen? Is it judgment, Pastor Mark? Um, I'm not in the position of God to talk about judgment, but man, God doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is take his hand off something. He takes his hand off something and the evil spreads. The Bible says that everyone is created with sin. Everyone. We all have Adam's sin. Uh, the bend of man is to do sin. And when God's not involved in it, when God's pushed aside, when you have, when you have religions that are trying to take over the world by force, and, they're, and they're, they're practicing demonic things like killing innocents, then basically you're going to see that happen. Judgment, judgment is yet to be seen. God will be the final judge. The problem is we want judgment today. I do, and so do you. That doesn't always happen. God will, though, judge just like Psalm 83 says. They will be like stubble. Can you address the current signs in the sky and the eclipse? Uh, I can address the current signs in the sky and the eclipse. Let me tell you that in 2017, I did a documentary called The Sign. It's on, it's on YouTube right now. And it's talking about the eclipse that happened then and the great eclipse that's coming again, making an X over America. Uh, the Bible says in Genesis that the stars are for signs, seasons, and times. Signs, seasons, and times. We may not know everything that those signs mean, but right now, we know there was an asteroid that just came through, was birthed, if you will, in the, in the womb of, of uh, Libra, uh, excuse me, birth in the womb of Virgo, the virgin in the heavens. Those signs mean something. I also would direct you to a star study I did that talks about those signs. They're not your signs. They're the signs of Jesus, uh, his first coming, the signs of the church, and his second coming. And yes, those signs do mean something. Can I tell you exactly what they mean? No. Most of the times we see that uh, in retrospect. But always comets and, and, um, uh, and eclipses always were in the, in the olden days we're about judgment. And so uh, you really need to look at some of those teachings that I have. I'll tell you that. Again, I don't know the full impact of why they're coming at this time, but they definitely are signs for us to look at. Um, will we see Isaiah's chapter 17 fulfilled? Great question. Will we see Isaiah chapter 17 fulfilled? I think Isaiah 17, when Damascus is destroyed, is a nuclear, is a nuclear strike. Israel is the only nuclear-capable nation in the Middle East. It's a deterrent to all the other nations. If Tehran, Syria, gets a nuclear weapon, uh, they will definitely start to pass that weapon to other places. And Damascus might be one of those spots. Damascus is rising up. It always has risen up. And to answer your question, it's possible that we could see that. If we see a nuclear exchange in Israel, I have a friend that graduated with me from Penn State. He was a meteorologist. He was brought back in 1974 to Israel. He has one job. He's had it since 1974. It's the, guy, it's the report to the Israeli government, the weather patterns in Israel and the Middle East. Why? Because if they ever have to th throw a limited nuclear weapon, they want to know that it's not going to be falling back out on the weather into Israel. So to answer your question, I hope we don't, but it's quite possible we will. Will Israel attack Iran for their part if found guilty in helping the attacks? Will Israel attack Iran for its part if found guilty? Absolutely yes. Israel's taken out some of their nuclear scientists over the last several years not to make them go nuclear. We have not helped that at all by, by unfreezing their assets and by taking off the sanctions. Israel knows Iran is a major player. They are the main nation that, ha that promotes terrorism. 
Israel will definitely take, they've taken out a nuclear reactor uh, before 1981, they'll definitely take Iran out. If they know, and that's one of the reasons why America's not talking and Biden's not talking about Iran. He knows that, that if, they, if we show proof, or if they show, Wall Street Journal said it's proof, they have proof that, uh, that Iran was behind this. If Israel finds that out, Israel will take out Iran. Question is, should we consider this war a holy war in Israel? Well, for the jihadists and the Hamas, it is a holy war. It's a jihad. Um, I'm not so sure any war is holy, to be honest with you. I don't believe that God condones death. I don't believe he condones. Well, how could how could Satan hurt God? He doesn't care about somebody if they're saved or they're not saved. All of us are God's children. Every one of us, whether we receive God or accept God, that's another story. But it does no good for God for people to be killed. This is, his, this is the crown of his creation. Humanity is the crown of God's creation. It has to sadden him when he sees what humanity does to each other based on their free will. So I don't call it a holy war on our side or on Israel's side. There's, I don't think there's a such thing as a Christian holy war. The Crusaders were not holy wars. The crusading wars were just as vile as what we're seeing right now. There was rape and pillaging and everything going on. So I don't believe that God is in behind war. I believe God really, I, he understands that it happens. And God's on the side of whoever's going to touch him. But um, I don't believe that it's a holy war on, on Israel's side. Good questions, tough questions. Will people that are raptured be judged at the great white throne the, the question is, will people that are raptured be judged at the Great White Throne Judgment? Actually, the Great White Throne Judgment is for the wicked dead. It's called the second death. Anyone who is raptured, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up so forever to be with the Lord in the air. Paul writes to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 4. We go to the Bema Seat of Christ. No one who's a Christian will get judged. We are judged by the works we've done, whether it goes through the fire or whether it's given to God as a prize. So we are only judged in the Bema Seat of Christ. It is not a negative judgment. It's a judgment of our rewards, what crowns we'll get. The Great White Throne Judgment is for the wicked dead. They're the ones that have accepted the mark of the beast, the ones that have died without Christ. That happens at the Great White Throne Judgment after the thousand-year millennium. What event will happen to show that there will not be a pre-trib rapture? I have friends who are pre-mid and post. What event will happen to show that it's not a pre-trib rapture? Well, I'll tell you this. If the temple is being built in your lifetime, if they build it, you're not, that's past the pre-tribulation rapture. And let me say this. God can do whatever he wants to do. Just because I believe biblically that it's, it points to a pre-tribulation rapture, God can do what he wants to do. I'll tell you this, if we go through a tribulation, if we do, which I doubt personally that we will, if we do, God will supply all of our needs. Uh, you'll get a glass of water, God will supply your needs. Just like he's rescued Israel, he'll rescue us. But again, you need to look at the full context of the Bible. God always rescues his people before destruction. He rescued Lot before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He rescued Noah and his family before he destroyed the earth with a flood. God would go against his premise to rescue the righteous if wrath fully came. If, it's, if Israel missed this invasion, how do we know Iran hasn't enriched enough uranium to create a bomb? If Israel missed this invasion, how do we know Iran didn't create enough uranium to create a bomb? Iran is extremely close. One report said they were weeks away. They have taken uranium, they put them in centrifuges, they're 90%, 95% uh, uranium enriched, 
and they're ready for Obama. Iran was saying, when, when Obama was giving them all kinds of money, uh, Obama was saying, flying plane loads of money to them. They were saying that they were going to enrich the uranium for domestic purposes, for electricity. They are not. They're, they're hell-bent on making a bomb to, to wipe out Israel. That is their sole purpose for existing, to wipe Israel out. And they will be the heroes of the Islamic radical world. And that's what, and, and again, one of the reasons why this is happening is because normal relations with several Arab nations are, are were in the talks. They were very, very close. And don't forget, if you want to look up something, the difference between Sunni and Shia Muslims, they're at odds with each other. They have, they have two different theologies and they're against each other. So that's why Saudi Arabia would want, would want to have peace relationship with Israel because Israel would be able to protect them nuclear because Iran's not going to stop. It's a, it's a rogue nation that wants to take over that whole Middle East as a caliphate. So other than prayer, what should we as Americans do? Other than prayer, what should you do? Support Israel. There are, there are several websites that are there that are, the money goes directly to helping the victims of Israel, helping rebuild their communities, helping in their hospitals. There are several. Fox News has one of them out there. I forgot the exact, the exact names. Next week I'll probably be able to give you that. Um, even CNN has one so far. And so, so support Israel. But let me just say something um, cautiously. I don't think it's besides prayer. I think prayer is the main thing. Prayer is our weapon of mass destruction. Don't underestimate prayer. Prayer has held me together uh, through cancer and through all kinds of problems. And uh, money could have been given to me. That's wonderful. I didn't get money, but it would have been wonderful. It's great. But prayer is the thing that helped me. Prayer is the thing that's going to help Israel. Do not forget to pray for them. Pray for them every day. Pray for these innocent victims. Pray for those families, uh, the children and the women. Uh, just pray in the elderly. Pray for them with everything you have. Don't miss a day in praying for them. Matter of fact, let's pray right now. Father, I just praise you and thank you today. I thank you, Lord God, and oh God, how you see your children and what's happening, Lord. I'm sure it grieves you tremendously, Lord God, but I also know that you understand the, the free will of man. You understand that, that man will do what man wants to do one way or the other, and that you, Lord God, will always have final say. You will reestablish this earth. You, there will be peace in Jerusalem. It won't come from politics or accords. It'll come from you reigning on the throne. Maranatha is the word we think of. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord. We're just thankful today, Lord God, that we can pray to you. We're thankful you've given us the opportunity. Lord, we're thankful that we're saved today. I pray for those in Israel, Lord God. Bless them, Lord God. Keep this, keep this horrific thing from getting out of control, Lord God. But I pray, Lord God, that you would, you would help people realize. You'd put them to that spot of realizing what's happening. Lord, I pray for the media in America, that, they don't be, that they're not prejudiced, that they understand that this is horrific, Lord. And I pray right now for the peace of Jerusalem, for you to come back, Lord. Bless these families, Lord God, are hurting. In Jesus' name, bless everyone that's listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Pray for that peace.